This is Self Work, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At Self Work, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret, and Self Work is a podcast dedicated to you taking just a few minutes today for your own self work. Hello, and welcome to the 120th episode of Self Work. I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. I'm a clinical psychologist. I've been in Fayetteville, Arkansas for over 25 years now and have been in practice there. I began to podcast a little over two years ago because I wanted to extend the walls of my practice. I'm very tired of the stigma or the prejudice against talking about mental illness, seeking treatment for mental illness, and I wanted to do whatever I could to try to at least lessen it, to help people understand more about psychological issues. So I wanted to reach the people who were already in therapy but might want another viewpoint, people who might be starting out on their journey having been diagnosed with some kind of psychological disorder or maybe just are running up against relationship problems that confuse them. But I also wanted to reach out to the group who would never darken the door of a therapist, couldn't see themselves going into therapy, no way, but they might be interested enough and curious enough to listen to what someone like me might have to say. So today, we're going to be talking about disappointment in relationships and how much is too much. Disappointment is hard to hear about, but it's inevitable in a relationship. Whether it's a one-time event and your partner has hurt you or vice versa, or whether it's a habit you have that's irritating to them, there is a way to work those disappointments out. Most of us don't do it very well, (laughs) but there is a better way. Disappointments are on a spectrum, and we'll talk about the major ones and what may have kept you from seeing the signs that they might be there, that those disappointments were waiting for you. And we'll also discuss how to handle the smaller ones, the little things that may irritate you or frustrate you or your partner about you. In fact, I told my husband many years ago, we were at dinner or something, and he hates when I bring things up like this, but I said, so tell me what you're disappointed in me about. And he said, Margaret, I don't want to do that. (laughs) That's too weird. And so I promptly then decided, okay, well, I'll tell you what I think they are. And I went on to list four or five, and he kind of looked at me and said, well, you're right. (laughs) So at least it felt good to know that perhaps there weren't hidden disappointments out there between us. And I would try to work on the ones that were there. I think those kinds of conversations and that kind of awareness builds and maintains trust. But we'll talk more about that in a minute. Our listener email today is from someone who got very anxious after he had left his family. I'm not sure what the problems were with his family, but he just described it as problematic. So why does anxiety sometimes hit you after you actually find more safety? We'll talk about that. But today, we're talking about relationships and focusing on disappointment. Let's face it. All of us are going to be disappointed about something in our partner. And in turn, we are going to be disappointing. Sometimes these are small disappointments that you didn't even consider as disappointments when you met. You didn't quite realize just how much time she spent talking to her friends, 
but you loved that she seemed to always care for others and would do anything for anybody. You didn't pay much attention when you were dating about how many hours he spent playing video games because he always stopped when you were there and it really relaxed him after a very stressful day. You never wondered why she had to work so much overtime. Her job was demanding and she was very career-minded, which you respected and desired. And you certainly didn't think too much when he had to travel a lot. Again, part of the job, and few of us can control that kind of thing. And he was great about texting good morning and good night and I love you and filling you in on what was going on on the road. You both were in love, and these small things didn't even register as disappointments or possible future problems. Yet, perhaps there also could have been more serious disappointments and issues. Maybe she drank too much from time to time. Maybe he tended to look around at other women, even when he was with you. But you found reassurance in the words that were being said, words to explain the overdrinking, like, I didn't realize I hadn't eaten, I'll work on it. Or to discuss a possible wandering eye, oh yeah, it's a bad habit, I'm sorry it bothers you, it's just hard for me to focus sometimes. Daphne Rose Kingma, which is an interesting name in and of itself, in her book, Coming Apart, stresses that after a relationship or marriage falls apart, you can usually go back and see that something that you ignored. And that was the thing that led you to tremendous hurt. But at the time, you decided to not listen to your gut, the gut that was screaming at you, pay attention. You can remember the time she'd sworn she'd never lie to you again or that he severely embarrassed you in front of your friends and was only slightly apologetic. You can think back to how she tended to blame you for almost everything when she'd get mad, then revert to her sweet self and tell you she didn't mean those things. You can recall that he promised you that he didn't sleep with his old girlfriend when you suspected that he had, and you decided to believe him. You didn't want to listen to what your more rational self was saying to you, because... You were in lust love, as I call it. With time, these are the kinds of disappointments that can be too much. Even in the dating phase, people with more severe emotional and psychological problems can appear stable and healthy for a while. They can even morph themselves into who they believe you want them to be. But these very problems can eventually break up a relationship. Addictions, betrayal, lying, rage outbursts, blame, contempt. You might have seen signs of it early, but now, years later, they are as real as a nose on your face. Trust and respect have been damaged, if not destroyed. The love that was freely given is gone, used up. These destructive behaviors, habits, and choices are simply not tolerable. And if you have children together, they can be a very long source of regret and conflict. If you stay married or partnered, you can then become bitter and angry or depressed and lonely. If you get a divorce, things often don't get better, and you have to watch your kids deal with those very disappointments on their own. Of course, we could all listen to this and think, okay, next time I'm not going to ignore that thing. And you may not. You may be a lot more vigilant about your choice. You might have things that you define as, these are my boundaries, and if this ever happens, I will not let myself get more interested in this person. 
but that takes a lot of self-discipline. So often after a relationship is ended, your work at that point is to figure out how and why you were drawn to that someone. What role did you have to play in the choice? What was going on that you ignored? What was fairly obvious? Were you trying to save someone? Did you think you could change them? Were you terribly insecure and wanted to hang on to the relationship for dear life? Spending some time figuring these dynamics out are important so that your next choice, if you choose another relationship, might be very different. But let's talk about more normal disappointments, not the disappointments that actually sever a relationship. Disappointments that aren't intolerable. They don't involve contempt or manipulation. They're simply irritating or unpleasant sometimes. Let's take two of the examples given before. Let's say your wife is very close with her friends and often works with you so that she can go out for a girl's night. That's okay by you. You know that doing that serves a purpose for her. But what if she goes out and stays out till after midnight or one or two? Or what if she begins to be demanding about it? Same goes with the video game example. What if your partner or your husband plays video games until all hours of the night, but he no longer shuts it down when it's time to get the kids ready at night, nor does he choose to stop and be with you? He plays for hour after hour and doesn't seem to care how that's impacting you. This is actually becoming a huge problem, and I think video addiction is actually going to be included in the next psychological diagnostic manual, just FYI. And it's mostly a problem for men, but I don't want to get on that tangent too much. Maybe I should study up on it and do a podcast about it. But in these situations, the problem is not necessarily the behavior, although these could be signs there's trouble. Most of the time, your partner isn't respecting you. They aren't understanding the impact of their behavior on you. Especially when you have kids, you get to do what you want to do with the cooperation of your partner. And it's important to have empathy for how your actions feel on the receiving end. If you know your partner is tolerating or trying to be understanding about some choice or behavior of yours, it's important not to abuse that toleration. I'll say this one more time. You don't want to abuse or take for granted that you're asking something of your partner. You're asking them to tolerate something that's hard for them to tolerate. You want to be respectful. That does not mean you allow them to control you. Nor do you angrily decide, well, if you don't like it, I won't go out with my friends anymore, or I'll never play video games in the house again. That's not helpful. And again, that's making it about the behavior when really it's about having empathy and respect for your partner. Because we can't forget that love is built on trust. And every time you come home when you say you're going to or stop the video gaming after an hour or so, then your partner's trust for you increases. So my fancy graduate school term for this dynamic is keeping your partner in your head when you make choices. When you start playing the video game, you keep your partner in your head and say, hmm, how long have I been playing? I guess I got to get off. Or you're out with your friends and you're having a great time and somebody says, Let's have another glass of wine. You look at your watch, or I guess nowadays your phone, <laughs> and you say, no, I got to call that Uber. I got to get home. 
And this is not just about things that are disappointing, whether it's picking up the milk they like because you noticed they were out or deciding not to flirt back with someone who's doing their best to get your attention at some party. All of that is you keeping your partners in your head. And when this happens, it's really, really nice because you trust that you're in their head and they trust that you're thinking about them as well. All relationships can tolerate a bit of disappointment as long as it doesn't erode trust. Our listener email today is from someone who really didn't understand where his anxiety was coming from. And sure enough, self-work had helped him. He says, thank you so much for your podcast. I'm a pre-med college student, and your perspective came at such an important time for me. Throughout this semester, I found myself so anxious and scared over the smallest things, constantly operating with a sense of fear failing. Once it became time for final exams, all that anxiety turned into a complete and utter absence of motivation. I felt out of control and totally unable to help myself. I was stuck in what I realized might be some issues I think I've been struggling with for some time now. During winter break, I came across your podcast, and it was exactly what I needed to decide I should start seeing a therapist about the issues I have with my family. I'm looking forward to getting back to campus and finding a professional I can talk to. Thank you so much for making me feel comfortable enough in my own feelings to finally get some help. And then in a really cute way, he says, this may come off as shamelessly opportunistic, but if there is any way you could use an unpaid undergraduate student to help with the podcast or blog, I'd really love to apply for the position. That made me smile. This didn't sound like a case of imposter syndrome to me, which I've done a podcast on. That's when you're really convinced that you're not qualified to do something that you're imminently qualified for. This sounded more like anxiety that had been waiting for him. So this is my answer. It always surprises me, and it's actually something I shouldn't be surprised about, that anxiety is so rampant. It's far more common than depression and is the number one mental health disorder. It sounds like the stress of school and somewhat contradictorily, the safety of being away from your family has opened something up in you that was waiting for you for quite a while. You said you'd been struggling for a long time, so some of those issues sounded like they belonged in the past. I am, of course, not sure what you're referring to about your family, but it's curiously often when we get out of a bad or hurtful or even traumatic relationship that we can allow ourselves to begin to deal with the stress and chaos that was created there. Many people are surprised by that. It doesn't seem right that they should be struggling inwardly when outwardly their lives are better, but it happens and it happens a lot. I couldn't be more happy that self-work has served as a way for you to see what therapy could be like. And thank you for your kind offer of help. Right now we've got a system in place, but who knows what the future will bring. Good luck with your studies. I'm sure that figuring things out about your family will be more than helpful in making those efforts successful. Another thing that I am finding with self-work that pleases me so much is that I'm really getting emails from all ages of people, from teenagers to older adults. 
So it's gratifying to think that my message actually doesn't seem to resonate only with one age group or even gender. I've tried very hard through the years not to write just for women or just for men. So again, I'm happy about that. Thanks so much for being with me today on Self Work. There are lots of ways of getting in touch with me. My website is drmargaretrutherford.com, and you can subscribe there. Get a free copy of The Seven Commandments of Good Therapy, and you'll get a weekly newsletter that contains both my weekly blog post and my weekly podcast. So it's a way of keeping up where you don't have to remember or you don't have to subscribe to a podcast site. And I promise you, you'll get the weekly newsletter. That's it. You can also email me at AskDrMargaret at DrMargaretRutherford.com. I will get back with you, and I love hearing from you. It gives me a chance to get to know, as I said a few minutes ago, who exactly is listening and how it's helping or how they wish it would help more. That's great information for me. You can leave me a rating or review on iTunes or anywhere you listen, and that is also so gratifying. I used that word a few minutes ago. But when I see that two or three of you have left, especially the written reviews, not only do I learn, but you've taken a few minutes of your own time to stop and let me know about what you enjoy about self-work and what you're learning, how you're using my words and self-work to help you. It's nice to get that feedback. I guess it's kind of like hitting a ball and then hearing it bounce somewhere. You, you know that you've had an impact, right? I'm doing some fun things. I'm over on Instagram for the first time, really. I've been there for a couple of years, but I got tired of taking a picture of my food that I was cooking. and I didn't really know what to put on there. I was trying to put more personal things, but didn't really know too much what to do. But I was highly motivated by a play I saw a few weeks ago called Every Brilliant Thing. And in the play, she kept a list of a million things that she thought were worth living for. So I thought, well, what kind of list could I do on Instagram? That might be kind of fun. So I decided to make a list of what I've learned as a therapist. Now, I've been doing this for 25 years, so I've learned a lot, I hope. So I've made a commitment to doing this for 100 days. (laughs) As I said in the last podcast, I may decide that what I've learned as a therapist is to not make a commitment (laughs) of 100 days. But I'm on day, right now, as I record this, I'm on day 17, and it's fun. I go around in my house and take pictures of stuff that is fairly innocuous, really, and then it makes me think of something that I've said or learned or shared as a therapist, and I share it with you. So come on over to Instagram at Dr. Margaret Rutherford. And finally, I've started a Facebook group. It's a closed group, which means only the members of the group can see comments or posts. And you can join Facebook.com slash groups slash self-work. That's Facebook.com slash groups slash self-work. Thank you for being here, and I hope you come back. Take very good care. I'm Dr. Margaret, and this has been Self-Work.